Well, good morning, everybody. I want to invite you, like we do every Sunday, to open your Bibles if you brought one. And if you didn't, I think at least maybe except for the first few rows, there may be some black ones in the seat racks near you. And if you're looking for Ephesians, that's where we are studying today. It's in the last fifth of the Bible. And uh, in the black Bibles, it's on page 814. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along. This is what we're going to be looking at. If you haven't been with us as you're turning to that, let me just bring you up to speed. We are in a series this spring called In Christ. It comes from a phrase that gets used a lot in this New Testament letter. And this idea is, is that just like I put the message notes in this book, when you and I believe in Christ, God places us in Christ and that changes everything. That changes our identity. Nevertheless, our identity is often tested or we're tempted to believe lies instead of who we really are now in Christ. And so you saw that we have both the lie and the truth there. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 15 through 20 today, if you're following along. And what I want you to see is that the last 14 verses, we've been learning that when you and I believe in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's an incredible thing. And we've been learning that by trusting in Christ, we're chosen by God, we're adopted by him, we are redeemed by him, we are sealed by him, an incredible thing. Nevertheless, now Paul, after explaining all that, says, now I want to pray. And this passage is a prayer. It's a prayer you can pray. It's a prayer I've been praying this week for you, even though I don't know some of you, even though I didn't know who all would be here. And so just know that this is a powerful thing. So, but I want you to also notice in this text that this mentions Easter. It mentions what happened on Easter near the end of this passage, and we'll come back to that. So today, uh, if you're following along, I want to make sure we all know what Easter is. Because, you know, I know in our culture, there's lots of ways to celebrate it, and it may have different meanings for you. You know, of course, for many people, it involves baskets and bunnies and brunches. And I like all those, by the way. And our granddaughter last night was looking for Easter eggs. So again, oh, that's fine. But you know what? We don't want to lose all that for what really Easter is. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what Easter is. It involves Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day, just as he said. Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day, just as he said. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 that I list out to the right there. It says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And just as he said, he would. And so we're celebrating Easter. But the question in the room, and maybe you've wrestled with this, I certainly have, is, you know, it's wonderful that Jesus rose from the dead. I just don't have any idea how it has anything to do with me. And so there's times when we can say, does it have anything to do with my identity? Does it affect who I am? Does it affect my life? I don't think so. But that's the lie that we were talking about. And the lie is, is that Easter, what Christ did at Easter, has no bearing on who I am. It doesn't have any connection, any bearing. But the truth is, the opposite is the case. And I hope you see it this morning. Uh, if you're following along, what Christ did at Easter opened a new world of knowing. What Christ did at Easter opened a brand new world of knowing. Knowing him, knowing things like we've never known before. We're going to talk about that this morning. Where do I get that idea? 
In the message notes, you'll see that both gray boxes have some verses listed there. And in that first gray box, you'll see in that last line of the first gray box, these words, that you may know. If you look down to the second gray box, you'll see is that in verse 18 there, that first phrase that I list there is that you may know. This whole idea is, is that when Christ rose again, he opened up the possibilities for us to know what we've never known before. And so if you're following along in the notes, I want you to see that Paul, after telling people all the riches, the blessings they've been given in Christ, now Paul prays that we'll know who we already are and have in Christ. That we'll know who we already are and have in Christ. I don't know about you, but uh, it's interesting to me that he says this in a way that's for us as well. Uh, We've been talking about how this was probably a circular letter. It wasn't just written to the Ephesian Christians. It was written to be passed to different churches. And so when this is written, Paul was picturing those of us that would believe in Christ. He wanted us to know these things, and now he prays them. And uh, I want you to see his prayer today and what he prays. And so um, I want to start by praying, okay? And then we'll open up these four blessings that he wants us to know. Now, Lord, um, I don't have the power to help anybody know you and the blessings you've given, but you do. And so our hope is, is that because you are alive, that you will reveal yourself this morning in lots of ways to many people. And we're just so thankful that it's possible to know you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the four blessings that you may not know. Paul says, I want you to know these, but you may not know these. And so I'm writing that and praying that you may know them. So I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. When I get to verse 17 in this passage, would you read it out loud for me as it's listed there in that first gray box in the notes? Here we go. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, that's a pretty good description of what a true Christian is someone who has trust in the Lord Jesus and loves God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now look at what he prays. Let's read it together. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 18 continues. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted on Easter when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So what I want us to see today is that Paul prays that they might know. And some of you are saying, well, wait a second, they're already Christians. He's writing to Christians. Now, I want to explain something. For those of you that are here that don't yet believe in Christ, we're so glad you're here. We really are. And we hope that you feel welcome. But we want you to know that even if you don't yet believe in Christ, you can still benefit from this message because if you come to believe in Christ, this is true for you. You can know this, that you may also know this. But for those of us that are already, have already trusted in Christ, this is something that we already have. It's just that we may not know it. So if you're following along in the notes, having these four doesn't mean we actually know or enjoy them. Having these four that he's going to pray that they'll know, 
we're going to talk about those in just a second, doesn't mean that we already know them or enjoy them. You can have something and not know it. You can have something and not enjoy it. Let me illustrate. Some of you have heard of William Randolph Hearst. In decades past, he was a famous American. He was a huge publisher of magazines and other uh, periodicals. And so his wealth uh, showed up in lots of ways. Uh, a few years ago, my son and I had an opportunity to visit the uh, Hearst Castle in Southern California, in San Simeon, California. And I'm telling you, it was just one of his many residences. And he also had his wealth invested in art. He loved art. And so one day he was reading about a certain piece of art and he realized, I must have it. So he uh, asked his agent to scour the galleries of the world to find this piece of art. No matter how long it took, no matter how much money it cost, he wanted it. After several months, the agent who had scoured all the galleries and had done a lot of work came back to him and says, I found it. It's in your warehouse. <laughs> William Randolph Hearst had it, but he didn't know it. He had it, but he certainly wasn't enjoying it, was he? And friends, you and I have been given an incredible identity in Christ. We have been given an incredible spiritual blessings, set of blessings, and we may have them, we just don't know them. We not, may not be enjoying them. Therefore, we need to pray for each other and pray that people can come to know that you may know what you already have. Now, that means that obviously the word we use for know in our popular culture isn't going to suffice. Most of the time when we talk about know, you know, like I've, I've been with people before and I even said it myself, I know, I know, I know. And when we say that, you can tell that that means you're like, you know, already I'm done. I've moved on, okay? But if you look here at the word know, by definition, here's what I want to give you as a definition. In the Bible, it means to know by personal experience, not just know about. It means to know by firsthand personal experience, not just know about. In fact, the word is actually uh, as intensified in the Greek language as it can be, epigenosis. And the idea is is that it means a full and thorough knowledge. Now, how do you get to know someone and not just know about them? You have, you have to be with them. You have to spend time with them. Moreover, they have to reveal themselves to you, or it's going to be much tougher to get to know them. And what God is saying is, is I have revealed myself, and I am revealing myself to you, but if you aren't with me, you can't know me. And so it's possible to know all about God. There are theologians that have spent 40 years for 10 hours a day reading theology, reading the Bible backwards and forwards. When Jesus came on the scene, the religious leaders knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They just didn't know God. It's possible to only know about. And what God wants us to know is that Easter makes it possible for us to move past know about to know personally. Do you, do you have that kind of knowing? You know, the very first thing he says, if you're following along, is that the blessing I want you to know is God himself. I want you to know God himself if you're following along next to that number one. And you know, when the Bible's been talking, I don't know if you've paid attention, if you've been with us so far, you'll notice, and if you haven't been with us, let me just mention what happened. In these first 14 verses before this prayer, he's talked about God the Father, 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one God, mystery of mysteries, but this God who can be known. And friends, it's going to take all of eternity to get to know God. But what Paul prays is that even though you're a believer and you've begun to know God personally, I'm praying that you may know him better. But some of you may relate. I was eating dinner one time years ago with a man who I was talking about knowing the Lord. And I I remember I wasn't thinking too much about what I was saying, evidently. And he just said, excuse me, just a second. Could you just stop? I don't know what you mean when you say know the Lord. Like, what what do you mean? And all of a sudden, I realized I was talking in a way that he, he wanted to understand. He just didn't. And so he was honest and humble enough to say that to me. And it took me back that I'd forgotten where I came from. You see, friends, that's my story. I was raised, I had the privilege of being in the home of a pastor and his wife that were the real deal. Some of you know them. And they knew God. My grandparents knew God. I was surrounded by youth workers and Sunday school teachers that genuinely knew God. And they irritated me. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Because I said, that's not fair. What do they have that I don't have? And I found myself getting more and more frustrated at God and sometimes envious of them. And I just finally came to a place by the time I was 15. I said, God, I know enough of the Bible stories to drive my Sunday school teachers crazy, but I don't know you. I know about you. I don't know you. And I remember thinking to myself, what, what's it going to take? I, I don't have the power to know God. And if this is what life's about, look at, look at Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Look at what God says. He says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. And you want to you talk about what life's about? God says, life's about knowing me. You can get caught up with riches and wisdom and strength of all your own. And friends, that's going to fall short. Knowing me is the main business of life. If it's the main business of life, are you about the main business of life? John 17, 3. Look at what Jesus said. He said, now this is eternal life. And some of us get hung up on eternal life. We think it says, now, this is what it means when you go to heaven. No, friends. Eternal life starts the moment you believe in Christ. It's a quality of life that can begin now and last forever. So he says, this is life. This is life in all its fullness, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's life and the opportunity to know him. But you know, Steve talked to us last week about how when you and I believe in Christ, he seals us with the Holy Spirit as a down payment saying there's more to come. But now we can actually know God. We'll know him perfectly in the future, but we can actually begin to know him now. Why? Because the Holy Spirit makes him known to us. That's why Paul says, I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not for the first time, but in an ongoing way, that you'll continually allow the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and revelation greater than your own. And I've tried to think of the best way I can explain this. Do some of you remember... This is like going back a ways now in this digital age. Do you remember analog radio, radios? Remember those? Remember? You used to have knobs. This was interesting. And you'd turn them, and you'd actually be going through static. And then if you turned it just right, all of a sudden it would catch a station. And what that was, you know how those worked? It had a tuner inside. And the tuner 
was able to take all of these static airwaves, these uninterpreted airwaves, and all of a sudden tune them in so that you could hear what that radio frequency was. In fact, I think we've got an example here. Don't we have that there? Wasn't that a relief? <laughs> Some of you, if you were to be totally honest this morning, God is static to you. And you wonder how you're ever going to know him. And the only way you'll know him is by the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes with believing in Christ. And if you have believed in Christ, you already have him, the tuner, and now you can get to know him better. You can spend more time in the hallelujah chorus than in the static. That's what he wants for you. But why is it so important to know God? What does it have to do with anything? It has everything. You realize he made you. And as you get to know him, the idea is, is to get to know him so thoroughly that his influence begins to influence your whole life. You know, when you actually get to know someone, I've been married for over 32 years now. I'll tell you, Trish has an influence on my life the more I get to know her intimately. And you know, the thing is, is when you get to know someone that close and that personal, they, you begin to rub off on each other. And the idea is that when you and I get to know God better, his ways, his character, who he is, will start influencing who you are. And your identity will begin not to become uh, just a, you know, cookie cutter kind of thing. Your personality will begin to come alive. Your identity will begin to come alive in ways you cannot know. But also, when you and I get to know him better, we also know all that comes with him. And there's three things that he lists that Paul says, I pray you can not only know him better, I pray you can know three other things. And here they are. The second, number, X and number two is hope. I pray that you may know hope. The hope to which he has called you, verse 18 says. And if you're following along in the notes, He's given us an unshakable future. He's given us an unshakable future. Now, I don't know about you, but I've misused the word hope uh, sometimes. Like, I remember years ago, if I didn't study well, on my way to class in order to take a test, I remember this thought going through my mind. I sure hope I pass this test. Okay? And uh, it, it sounded more like a wish. And so sometimes people think that hope, let's just, let's just hold on to hope. And what they mean is, don't get negative. You gotta talk positive. Hope's all about positivity. Friends, in the Bible, hope is more than that. It's more than a wish. It's more than positivity. It's certainty. It's assurance. In fact, when he says, I pray that you may know the hope, he's saying, I pray you may know the assurance that God's already given you in Christ, that you'll know it personally, that you'll know it in all different kinds of situations. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying to think of a way that maybe I could explain this. And so uh, I want to just, you see this picture up here on the screen? 
I know some of you are thinking he's just looking for a way to get his grandson in the message. <laughs> but there's a point to this. This is our grandson, our newest grandchild, seven months old. He was in the eight o'clock service. His name's Levi Anchor Nelson. And I was, Trish and I were fascinated when the kids decided to name their son that. So we said, uh, what, what inspired you to name him Levi Anchor? It's kind of unusual. He said, well, Hebrews 6.19 really means a lot to us. And if, here it is on the screen. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. This hope is an anchor. Have you ever studied how boats can stay steady in a storm? How they can stay secure? It all has to do with the anchor. And if the anchor is locked into something that's firm and immovable, then no matter how hard the storm hits, the boat can stay steady. And friends, what God has given us in Christ is an incredible thing. He's given us hope. Hope is also, in the Bible, something that we don't yet fully have. The Bible says those who hope, why would they hope for something they don't yet have? It's something that we look forward to. It's a future. So we have some of it now, but we'll have all of it later. But knowing that gives us an assurance and a certainty in life that no matter what else changes, we can know hope. We can know hope. This is one of the things that's a witness to the watching world. And so what is the hope that we have as, as we think about the scriptures? The Bible says the blessed hope is that Christ is coming back. No matter how crazy this world gets, do you realize he's going to ultimately close out human history? He's going to actually be the period at the end of the sentence of that. And when he comes back, he is going to make sure that justice is fully served. And I'm so thankful for that. But also the Bible says is the hope we have to look forward to is that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This world is passing away. And that means that we have something to look forward to. Along with that, <clears throat> he's going to give us new bodies. My mom's looking forward to that one. If your body is deteriorating, if something's happened to your body, if you're not able to do certain things on earth, you have the hope that you are going to be able to be completely free and completely able to glorify God with a new body coming. We have the hope that he who began a good work in us of making us holy and making us like him will carry it on to completion even though there are days we wonder if we're ever going to become like Jesus. We have that hope. And it's because of that that we can know his hope no matter what we go through. You know, I was thinking, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking about the families of the martyrs of this last few months. And I'm wondering how Easter's going for them. And I think what they're finding is that an opportunity to know God better in this time praying that he reveals himself to them in ways that maybe they've never known before but need more than ever. And also they know the hope to which he has called them to know. What a God. The third, number three there, the second of these three blessings about knowing God better is the riches. The riches. He's given us an inheritance 
in his people if you're following along. Do you see that? It says that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. If you're looking at verse 18, now here's what I want you to notice. Two things. One, he doesn't say that you may know your inheritance. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear that I have an inheritance, my ears perk up, right? I think all of us hope we have an inheritance and we hope it's big. It's not that we don't have an inheritance. The scripture says that actually this is a double inheritance. And what we inherit is Jesus himself. And in Jesus, everything that comes with Jesus. But notice in this particular passage, he's saying, I pray that you may know his inheritance in his saints, in his people. And so the idea is this. I don't know if you've thought about this, but God is saying that we are his inheritance. Steve talked about this last week. So when you think about riches, the riches of his inheritance, I don't know about you, but a lot of times we think of riches as money. I like money. The problem is it, it, it just doesn't last. It can't do stuff. Have you ever thought what the truest riches are? They're people. They're relationships. And he's saying is, I pray that you may know the riches of his inheritance in his people. Oh my goodness. I was thinking about this this morning before the eight o'clock service. Pastor Steve walked into my office. He just said, how are you doing? I was just getting ready. He says, can I pray for you? Put his hand on my shoulder and he just asked God that God would help me just be myself, but also be filled with his power to proclaim what he's saying in these verses. And as he walked away, I thought, I'm rich. I'm rich. Before I became a Christian, I thought God's people were irritating sometimes. Remember I told you? Now I'm starting to realize what a treasure. The guy that founded our college, Judson College up in the Chicago suburbs, he was kind of a quirky guy. His name was Ben Brown. And he used to say on a regular basis, I'd rather have a million friends than a million dollars. Well, that was pretty interesting. Then he'd go on and says, because if I ever got in trouble, I'm pretty sure all of them would give me at least a dollar. <laughs> and here's what I want to tell you. I pray that you may know that in Christ, you have a million friends. You have more than a million friends. And there's coming a day, you know, on this side of heaven, even our best fellowship is still tainted by sin. There's coming a day we're going to worship him together and the richest riches will be ours. But we can taste it now, can't we? I'm glad we can do this together. So the last thing is, I pray that you may know his incomparably great power. Power. This power is so great that death can't defeat it. In the last service, I forgot that last blank of that line. So I left some people going home for Easter kind of wanting that, that line to be filled in. Anyway, I didn't get that done, so now I feel much better. But his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what is he saying? He's saying you need to know that God <clears throat> doesn't just have great power. He's given us great power. He didn't just show great power when he raised Christ from the dead. Now he has put that power inside you and me. Unbelievable. That means that you and I have the power to do things we could never do before. 
That means that we no longer have to cave into sin every time we're tempted. Now we have the power to obey. That means that we no longer have to be led by our feelings. We have the power to trust. And that power is often thought of with Easter as some sensational power, and it is. But most of the time, this power is more quiet and subtle as it works in people's hearts. Friends, his incomparably great power has melted the heart of the hardest hearts. His incomparably great power has enabled people to become humble who used to become, who were proud. His incomparably great power has drawn and magnetized the hearts of people who are far from God. And his incomparably great power is available because we are in Christ. Wow. And he's saying, I pray that you may know his incomparably great power. And I just want to tell you, I know some of his incomparably great power. There's so much more of his power I need to know. Hebrews 3 will eventually say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. His power, if you believe in Christ, you already have it, but do you know it? Are you enjoying it? Are you seeing him work in your life? But notice this last thing. We can't know these, unless, we can't know these four unless God opens our eyes. We can't know these four unless God opens our eyes. Have you ever seen this in 2 Kings 6? Never seen this passage? It's a fascinating story that illustrates this. It says, when the servant of the man of God, the man of God was Elisha, and this is about his servant, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. The enemy had surrounded just the two of them. It says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked, don't be afraid. The prophet Elisha answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Why do you and I need to know what we may not know? So that not only can we know God better, but so that we don't miss what he's already given us and what is already around us. He wants us to see in ways. He wants us to know in ways. But notice, we can't, we can't unless God opens our eyes. Some of you are parents. You know you can't open your kids' eyes. Only God can. You can pray. You can cultivate that. But when you and I finally get to the place where we realize, I can't know unless God opens my eyes and the tuner of the Holy Spirit helps me know and understand. So how do we respond to this message? I just want to say that in our church family, we're learning a couple words that go back to my story. Some of you say, well, how did that change for you when you were 15? How did you begin to know God then? Well, friends, it's a miracle of grace. But the two attitudes that God's often looking for from us are these. He's looking for hunger and humility. We call it H2 here at Cherry Hills, hunger and humility. You know, when I talk about knowing God, do you want that? Do you want to know him? Do you have a hunger to know him? You have a hunger to know him more, to know him better. If you do, the Bible says is that he will reveal himself to those who seek him with all their heart. The second thing is, is do you have humility? Humility enough to admit that you don't know what you don't know. And do you have the humility to say, I need to ask you to give me what I can't do for myself. Would you please open my eyes? And friends, he'll honor that prayer. So in closing, I have just two lines there. One's a prayer <clears throat> for unbelievers and one's a prayer for believers. 
If you don't yet believe in Christ, here's a prayer that you might pray today to know the power of Easter. Lord Jesus, please open my eyes to believe in you. Please open my eyes to believe in you, Lord Jesus. If you're alive, show me that I can believe in you. And the second line is for those of us that already believe in Christ. Lord Jesus, please open my eyes to know you better. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I press on to take hold of that. Not that I've already obtained this, but I press on to know him better. Some of you, as we close, have asked, you know, Jeff, what have you learned about knowing God? I'm still on the way, but I'll tell you this. Proverbs 3.6 that I shared a few weeks ago in the prayer message. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You remember the word in the center of acknowledge? No. In all your ways, know him. So now here's what I've learned. Because he's alive, I can be with him. And he can be with me. And I can learn how to do everything, most ordinary task to the most complicated task. I can do it with him. I can know him in everything. You know, this week, I said some crosswords to my family. Oh, man, just reminded me I'm not God. <laughs> and I said to God in prayer, what should I do? He says, you know, I want you to go and humble yourself and own up to what you did and apologize. And I did. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad I know you. And my family's so glad I know you. And so here's my prayer. That you may know. That you may know. So the way we're going to close the service today is to just sing a song that confirms what happened at Easter. Oh my goodness, friends, what Jesus opened up is the possibility of not only knowing him now, but forever. Forever. Knowing him will never go out of date. Death with 
Can I pray for you? And I just want to mention one way of maybe getting to know the Lord better is if you're not already part of our church family, we'd love to invite you to join us as we get to know him better. That's really what we're trying to learn to do. And um, if you uh, want to talk with someone after the service on any given Sunday, there's always people down front. We'd be glad to pray with you or talk with you about what's on your heart. So, Terry Hills, let me pray for you. Now, Lord, I don't understand fully the authority you've given me as a pastor to pray. But I ask that you might hear my prayer that every person in this room may know you, the greatest riches of all, and everything that comes with you when we trust in you. Help those of us that have known you for a while to know you better and to hunger to know you better. And now as we go, Lord, thank you that we can do it with you. We can know you in everything. And everyone agreed and said, amen. One more time, friends. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Have a happy Easter.